Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons. Thanks a ton for supporting the show and making all of this possible. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQIA youth via InCircle. Check out my link tree for more information about their great work. And now, onto this episode's guest intro. Caustic Phoenix and Mudcat make up the dynamic duo behind the D&D actual play stream D20 Deathmatch. They got into TTRPGs and decided to take a crack at using their previous streaming skills to make something original and fun. Enjoy! I'm Caustic Phoenix, and I've been playing D&D for not very long, as it turns out. My first time was playing with my brother and Mudcat, actually. We were playing online, which was really hard because all the other players were in person. And after that, we started immediately playing online because it turns out doing a hybrid is awful. You feel so left out of everybody else at the table. And it's just taken off from there. It turns out that we really love TTRPGs. (laughs) Nice. How about you, Mudcat? Before we played with Cossack's brother, we uh, I had decided I wanted to play. I'd been playing or planning to play for a long time, mm. been interested in it, but uh, this was 2017 maybe. So I watched every Matt Coville video I could find, read through all nice. the rule books, watched the Critical yeah. Role, we watched Harmon's Quest. And I thought I was going to have to DM, but it just so happened that our her brother was running a game. So like she said, we jumped in there and then, uh, yeah, like she said, pretty much immediately straight into streaming D&D. Because we were already streaming at the time, so. Yeah, so you were already streaming, and it was like, how hard could it be to stream this other thing that we found that we like? So, (laughs) right? (laughs) Why not add one more thing to the list? And as content creators, you're always trying to do that, and it turns out there's a lot of people on the internet that want to tell you how to do things, so. Really? I never get feedback. I don't know what you're talking (laughs) about yet. Try running a show where you don't care about the rules. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we can dig into that later. I was going to ask Caustic, did you know that your brother was into this? Did he play while you were living at home with him? Or was it kind of like he got into it after the fact and it was just all of a sudden a new thing for you? Yes, after the fact. I don't want to talk about how old I am, but we were (laughs) all out of college by a while. To be estimated, I like to describe myself as a young elf right now at my age. There you go. There you go. It definitely took some time. And then he just said, hey, I've been playing with my friends. I'm going to DM for the first time. Would you like to play? And I said, yes, we would. (laughs) And of course, I picked a rogue. I played a rogue. I was going to be super cool and stealthy, and I was not. You weren't. I accidentally killed someone on the first one that we weren't supposed to kill. So we didn't really understand uh, unarmed strikes, or she didn't at the time. And we were interrogating uh, an individual. and With one HP? Yeah. Could have slapped him to death. <laughs> Only in DD could you do that, right? Or like, yeah. I guess for older people, again, not revealing our age, but if you played uh, James Bond Goldeneye, you can slap yes. people to death oh, too, yeah. right? That was the but, only uh, way to play that game. <laughs> right. Yeah, aging us both there. How did you um, transition from playing and enjoying it? I guess you already said, my cat, that you both were like, well, I guess we're going to stream this now. So you mentioned like watching a bunch of Matt Colva videos and consuming as much as you could. But yeah, what was the transition like from playing a little bit to, all right, we're going to run this. How do we run it? How do we make it interesting for people? That kind of thing. That was a long transition, actually. I I guess I maybe made it sound shorter earlier, but uh, 
we were streaming at the time and we had been playing and then we had met some folks on Mixer. We were streaming on Mixer at the time who asked us to be in a game with them on their stream. And then we basically just kept doing that and are still doing that. But it wasn't until about 2021 where we finally were like, let's do our own thing too. So it's about, you know, three, four years of us uh, playing in other people's shows before we really decided to do our own thing. And I want to share, I'm a little counter to Mudcat. He was doing all this research and watching people and I adamantly refused. I take a lot of inspiration from the space around me and I don't want to feel like, especially in that D&D space, that I mimic what others do. I feel Mm. like, especially in a show production or for my players, I want to be careful of putting myself too close in that mirror position. So I purposely look for inspiration everywhere else except for within the D&D community. I might get some hate for this, but I think I've only watched one episode of Critical Role in Full. I've watched the show on Amazon Prime, but like that's it. Because I know there's a lot of pressure around that, and I don't want to introduce that. And my games are always going to be very different. I just haven't really stepped into that world at all. I think there's merit to both things, right? Mm -hmm. There's merit to wanting to be radically true to yourself and how you're going to do it. And there's merit to like trying to learn as much as possible from other people and and, like learn what you like and don't like from what they do. I probably am more the latter as well, just because that's kind of the reason I started the show was I want to interrogate all my favorite DMs, figure out what they do and like why they do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like add the stuff I like to my own game. But yeah, I think there's definitely merit to the inverse of that as well. What about like running games properly? Was it that 2021 stream where you finally took the dive into running games or had you been doing a little bit with home games before the fact or before that stream started? This wasn't the first game I ran in D20 Deathmatch. I think I had run once or twice some one shots for my family during Thanksgiving. Yeah. They're perfect guinea pigs. Right. Because we had played a bunch <laughs> over the years, like two, three years. And at some point, I'm just like, I can do this. This isn't hard. We wanted to play with our family and friends. And so I ran a small one shot. And we've done that a couple of times. I think that was it before D20 Deathmatch. So like maybe a six months or a year before D20 Deathmatch launched, I DM'd mm-hmm. like one one shot one time. And then we just jumped into it. And now I've DM'd a bunch. So <laughs> Once you yeah. start, you can't. Stop. It's just like Pringles. We're not sponsored by them, but there they are. (laughs) There they are. I feel like it was Lay's in the 90s that was, bet you can't eat just one or whatever. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, got to keep eating these. Got to keep doing this. Yeah, totally agree. That's a curse, though, and warning for everyone else. Once you start DMing, you will never get out of that space because everyone is looking for a DM. But if you're looking for friends, that's the best way to make them. (laughs) You'll never have a problem finding a group. Yes. If you run the games. Yeah. It's not just that. Obviously, yeah, you're expected to to DM all the time because nobody else wants to do it. But also, I kind of think once you start DMing and you start getting to like run the world the way you want and set up the scenarios you want and the setting, you don't really want to play for anyone else's world. You want to keep playing in your world, at least for me. You get comfortable. I play with a few friends and family. And when they run games, I enjoy it, but I'm always like sure. in the back of my head, like, hmm, I would do that a little different. Or, you yeah, know, like exactly. I try not to verbalize <laughs> it right, but it's always like, okay, okay. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I get that. You talked about like people nitpicking you for rules and stuff. So we won't worry about that as far as like mistakes goes, but I want to dig into 
what you feel like are some of the mistakes that you both have made while running games. Could be home games and it could be on stream. Examples from your games about how not to DM. So we'll start with you, Caustic, this time. Sure. And I think we've talked about this a little bit before because Mudcat and I, after every D20, have a tendency to go back and say, here's what we liked, here's what we didn't like as part of our review, because we're very Mm -hmm. adamant on improvement. And especially when you're creating a very homebrewed style that's co-DMing, you have to communicate a lot. So we were talking, one of the things we wish we would do is be much more adaptable in the moment and be willing to retcon things like sometimes we'll Mm. give them an item like it's an improv thing right we're all in the moment we roll the dice pull something from the table it's yours now and then when they use it it's like oh no 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 this is terrible we've made a horrible mistake or this monster (laughs) is way too overpowered they're gonna get crushed and we don't want that or even in some of the like a charity game i ran it was like oh i threw these out here and now it's going to ruin like the pacing and their desire to have role play now because I had planned this. And so being much more adaptable and willing to say, hold on, let me change this because you're making the decision not to prioritize your pride or your story and making your players first and foremost and giving them the best experience you can for them. Is part of the hesitancy or or was part of the hesitancy that you were streaming and you just didn't want to like make it awkward and have to backpedal? I feel like that would be a big thing for me having never run a game on stream before. Sure, there is a momentum issue. I won't lie. One, feeling like a newer DM at first and also being female and sometimes feeling like I have a smaller voice on the table, it Mm -hmm. feels embarrassing to have to say like, oh, I've done this wrong. And then it opens up the door to a lot more criticism. Like, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. No DM knows what they're doing. That's the real secret of it. There's more items than anyone could have memorized. No one has all the magic items memorized, okay? You're going to make a bad NPC at some point in time, right? And you're going to be like, why did I do that? And being able to be comfortable with that is important. And that's taken a while, to be honest, to be comfortable Mm. with that. There have been times, like, at least after the show where I've apologized to players like, hey, I'm sorry. Before the next one, we're going to have to change things. Or I apologize that that happened. It shouldn't have played out like that. I want to be better. And I've gotten, Mudcat and I both have gotten better in the moment to say, hold on. Let's change this. Or we know to buy each other some time so that way we can research it a little bit more before we make our decisions. DM pride is a big thing. We feel like very responsible of the table. So it's very difficult to say, I need to change this. I would add on that uh, everything she says is absolutely right. But another level to it is our game that we play is very homebrewed because it's PvP. And it's not PvP in a sense of like, let's go pound each other into the dirt. It's PvP in a sense of WWE. So it it has to be a show. It has to last two hours. It has to be entertaining and it has to be fun for our players. Uh And sometimes even like even beyond magic items, like in the early days, we'd have people come in and they wouldn't quite have the right concept in mind and they do a little min maxing, which is fine. We've learned to work around that. But in our format, we have to be very quick about like, if somebody shows up and they've got a 25 AC with all their BS going on, I got to be quick to say, hey, you know that shield you're holding? It gets sucked up by a magnet. It's gone. You know what I mean? And you don't want to do that because you don't want to ruin people's fun. And we've gotten better about communicating with people like, this is what's up. Please don't come in and think it's something it's not, which has helped a lot. But we've also gotten better at just not really worrying about hurting people's feelings because sometimes you just have to balance the game, especially in our setting. You got to just be like, okay, that's not working. We got to fix that right now. 
or else it goes by and then you let the whole episode go by and you're like, man, we could have just put it on back on the tracks, but we didn't. My biggest mistake early on was not riding the ship sooner. Mm -hmm. Mm. It is very unique, the PvP style, right? And like you said, balancing it can be tricky. Like the most PvP I've ever that I've encountered is like people stealing stuff from each other's bags, right? That's like as insane as it's gotten. It's typically a party killer. If you do that, you're dead and you're out of the group. (laughs) Right. Other than like taking control of one of them through nefarious means and like having them fight each other. That's different, right? Like anyway, it is very unique. And I like the WWE style. I remember in the first, very first episode, you're like, there's like this cheap metal chair, you know, and then you're whacking people with it. And it was just like, this is fun. It's different, very different than any other actual play stream or podcast. Playing to those strengths is, is what makes it unique and fun. I wanted to tag on one more thing that it made me think of from Mudcat's statement, and it's the Goldilocks scenario. We have different players that come in with a different idea of what the game should be. And if the DM and the players and between the players themselves also have a different understanding, the game is not going to go well. And that's where we've had to do so much in thinking, how do we make our session zeros, our prep materials condensed, but the best that we can to make them prepared and everyone on the same page as to what to expect and how to interact with this game? Because if people come in by playing different rules and bringing characters that don't match this world, it's not going to be a fun time. Having a good game does not start at the table. It starts before. People really underestimate the importance of a session zero or any of that prep to reach out, connect, and make sure they understand what to get out of it and how your DM can help serve you in that best way. We do homebrew so much. We have so many homebrew rules or rulings, and they, they're they never consistent. We change them all the time based on what sounds fun is funny. Yep. Rule of cool is basically our only rule. So when we have people on like someone like Robert Hartley, who's very by the book numbers kind of guy, we just have to say like, hey, listen, we're going to break the rules. We know the rules. We don't care. Either you're into that or you're not. Usually people are like, yeah, that sounds great. As long as they know up front that we're going to ignore the rule book. And yes, you can misty step and then cast a spell. It's fine. Yeah. Small note, Robert Hartley, he's great at it. No he's hate to Robert Hartley. It. He's beautiful. I hear he's getting more into Pathfinder these days anyway. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dag's pulling him in. I got it. Okay, I know where he's those... He's going to hate it. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly from. who it is, don't you? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. I do. <laughs> yeah, that's a little joke there, Robert, for you. I'm, I'm sure he's shaking his head right now. He's um, preaching the good news of that Pathfinder. With the various different games that you've run and people you've played with, What are each of your favorite memories from your games? Really epic moments, really funny moments, maybe really meaningful moments of role play or something like that that you want to share? There's so many, especially with our style. Like it's just so chaotic and improv heavy. But I guess in terms of like our normal show, it had to be the first time we had Perception Studio come on and just having two puppets beat each other down and then (laughs) saw each other's heads off. Spoilers. Yeah, sorry. Spoilers. It was just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a top tier memory. And there's so many other like little moments and little inside jokes and things that have popped up. That's probably my top moment. And then after that, it's probably uh, we did a live show at GCX here in Orlando last summer. We always designed this show to be a live show for in person. And we always wanted it to be like a rock concert or like being at a wrestling match. And it was every bit of that. And it was awesome. Nice. That is a good memory. I like that. What about you, Caustic? Some of my favorite ones are all centered around bringing new players to the table. Yes. And Mugcat and I have mentioned this before in our own chats, but 
New players are also some of the best players because they don't know what they can't ask for. So they're like, yep. can I do this? And we're like, heck yes, let's roll for it. And their eyes just light up and they start to realize I can do anything. And so many times, so many characters, we get so attached to our sheets and I can do this action and only that action. Whereas we have other players like, I pull a bee suit out of my pocket. Sure, why not? Of course you've got a bee suit in your pockets. Why wouldn't you? And that's where imagination really starts to go wild because you don't know what's normal for a D&D game. So suddenly everything becomes possible. And that's what it's supposed to be when everything is possible in this game that we get to create. So it's some of the most inspiring moments that I've ever seen come to place at a table, whether it's online or at an actual table. Agreed. I love new players for that exact reason. We're looking for you. If you need a new table, we're coming for you. <laughs> what are some of your favorite homebrew rules that you have instituted, whether or not they were decided beforehand that have added to the fun of your games? The funny thing is we're working on writing them down, but we don't, we're not really good about that. So it's kind of things that are just in the moment. A lot of times there's a lot of things that fly by, like casting a cantrip and a spell or, you know, uh -huh. a misty stepping spell and spells, stuff, stuff like that. Little things like that. We just let go because if you're in a one V one fight, it just kind of breaks the action economy to make you wait around to do things. Insults are almost always vicious mockery. You don't yeah. have to know the spell. Vicious mockery to cast it. As it turns out, we really like smart, witty quips. So bring those every time and we reward them. <laughs> we do things like uh, we limit the number of like great weapon masters or sharpshooters or things like that that you can do, especially when you have multi-attack characters. Rage only lasts so long. We want drama. We want emotion. We want rage. Yeah. So we ask them to show sadness and then happiness, and then they can go back to their anger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we basically just take everything and we tweak the time. Big one for us is spells with like time components. You got to do mm. cast it over 10 minutes. We're like, no, you can just do it. You don't have to have material components. It doesn't matter the time. Like you just do it. As long as it sounds cool and it's fun, we're more about that narrative and things like that. We really walk a fine line of like, do whatever you want and then we also follow the rules sometimes when it helps us balance. So it's kind of like a constant ebb and flow of like, we're following zero rules or following all of them. It's so situational depending on how people are interacting with their weapons and their environment and things that I don't know that I could like lock down a ton of like, this is our set rule set because we have to improv so much stuff and balance on the fly all the time. Yeah, like in some ones, you can't kill Timmy, the caterpillar on the moon, and then others, you have to murder him as quickly as possible. So it just depends on the players. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird dynamic. What well, sure. seems fun at the time. But I think this is the rule any DM should follow, right? When it comes down to it, whatever is fun is what you should go with. Sure, like your monster has X amount of health, but if your players are bored with it, it's no longer fun, then the monster dies. Oh yeah, this puzzle is really cool, but if your players can't keep their attention on it more and they're getting frustrated and it's no longer fun, like not even just their player characters are frustrated, the players themselves are frustrated for far too long of a time, the puzzle's done. Oh look, they found an accidental stepping stone and they unlocked it, right? If it's not fun anymore, and it doesn't mean that it always has to be happy, right? Give them everything. But if it's not pursuing a good story for them, move on. I struggle with puzzles and traps I like ones that are really simple and I don't want to do like wordy ones, like riddles they've got to figure out, that kind of thing. No one ever gets them. Yeah, I know. The issue is like, 
movies where there are good traps or puzzles that get solved, sometimes it takes like days to figure it out and then there's like a big payoff, mm-hmm. but it's like quick cutscenes. D&D is not meant for that, especially like in a dungeon crawl or or whatever anyway. And most of them don't have like that natural history in our brain. Like, I don't know hieroglyphs. I can't interpret what this means. I don't know. Jehovah starts with an I. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Sorry. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you a a secret that I do. And I don't know if you'll take value from this or not. But whenever I run a one shot or a campaign or something, if I want there to be a trap in a room, I kind of just vaguely hint that there's a trap in the room. You start acting like, ooh, everything's very suspenseful. and Make a perception check. Yeah, yeah, things like that. You start hinting <laughs> that there's a trap. And before you know it, the players are going to be like, I'm going to go pull all the books on the bookshelf to see if it triggers anything. And then you can just be like, yeah, it definitely triggers something. Like You let the players play the game they want to play. Because if they think it's fun to go pull a book off the bookshelf, okay, cool. Now you can give them a cool trap based on that. And you didn't have to write anything. You did that once. In the prior Into the Mirror segment, that campaign, they were in a sewer system, and you didn't plan a trap, because I remember going over the maps with you. There was no (laughs) trap, but in their mind, there was a trap. So the players made a trap, and you just said, yeah, you found the switch. (laughs) They just had to go through the door. There was no trap. The door was unlocked, (laughs) but there was a bookshelf in the room, and they literally were like, they saw these bolts on the door, and I didn't say that they was locked. They're like, uh, well, I'm going to go pull the bookshelf. And so then I said, oh, yeah, you pull that book and a latch on the door slides open. Like, And they had a great time with that because they wanted, they, loved it. <laughs> they wanted to solve a mystery in that moment. And I just let them. didn't matter if it was existing or not. So I, if you're not a planner, especially paying attention to your players and just listening to what they are suggesting and think is fun is a great way to like no prep DM. Yes, it is. I love that. That's a good suggestion. It's gotten to the point where my players will ask me at the end of a session, like, all right, how much of that was made up? You can tell us. Never tell them. <laughs> yeah, I try not to reveal it as much as possible. It is funny, though, that they've gotten suspicious. They're like, wait a sec. Did you just make all of this up? You'll never know. <laughs> you find yourself in a good spot where your players are constantly paranoid that they're going to step on a trap. <laughs> when you've done that kind of psychological damage to the people at your table over a series of time, then you're in a good spot because... You can not give them a trap and it's satisfying or you can hit with the trap and it's exactly what they expected. But here's the thing for all the players out there listening, your DM may or may not have planned that trap, but guarantee they had like five more maps and twice the amount of bad guys that you never got to because you didn't go through that side entrance. So the planning was there in terms of effort. You just didn't see those parts. We deserve to make stuff up every once in a while for all the stuff that the players don't. You can't plan for everything. No. (laughs) Can you imagine the decision tree you'd have to build for a a whole three-year-long campaign? There's no way. No. There's no way. Day by day. That's what you got to do. Hour by hour. Hour by hour. Awesome. And now, a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. First, let's hear from my friends over at the Relic of the Past podcast. In a world headed for disaster, five strangers with mysterious pasts are thrown together by the winds of fate to try to stop the unseen forces that threaten to destroy their world. Join Creval, a dragonborn with no memory and no past, who is the first of the barbarians of the mountains to be seen in a thousand years. Cotter, a penniless paladin, 
running from something or someone in his past. No one, the only Tifling monk the kingdom has ever seen, who has been expelled from his monastery for reasons he has not revealed. Adri, his monastic companion who hides some deep dark secret she cannot reveal, and Arlen, once a simple farmer, until some mysterious event manifested sorcerous powers in him. They must travel the length and breadth of the kingdom of Faro, searching for the disparate clues that will help them unravel the mystery of the failing of their land, while trying to hold together the unraveling threads of society's weave threatening to come apart at any moment. They will have to battle nature, plague, politics, and even the forces of the underworld as they attempt to discover and defeat whoever, or whatever, is attempting to poison their world and throw it into chaos. Relic of the Past is a novel-length story told via a clean, custom, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found, and at poolmedia.podbean.com. Next, let's hear from my friends over at the Negative Modifier Podcast. Are you the kind of person or unspeakable nightmare horror who likes actual play podcasts, but occasionally wants a break from all the high fantasy heroics? If so, you should check out Negative Modifier, an actual play podcast that specializes in darker, more mature games. You can find us on YouTube, Twitch, and more or less anywhere else podcasts can be found. Next up, a little shout out to my friends at the No Latency Podcast. No Latency is a cyberpunk red roleplay podcast. Join Iona the Corpo, Retro the Tech, Jeb the Nomad, and their new crewmate Vivi the MedTech as they discover what is bubbling beneath the surface of Night City secrets and why it's still all linked to a fixer named Domino, the mysterious AI that has led their adventures so far. The tightly edited radio play style of No Latency will draw you into the action every week. Season 2 has only just begun, so it's a great time to join the adventure. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you can listen to good podcasts. New episodes every Wednesday. Check out this episode's notes for a link, or find out more information at nolatencypodcast.com. Last but not least, I want to give a shout out to podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Podcasteditors.online is the group that edits this podcast, and they do an awesome job, as you can hear. They also do actual play podcasts or any other kind of podcast that you may have, so take a look at their website at their great rates and see if you are interested in buying some editing hours a la carte. And if you tell them I sent you, you might get a little discount on your first couple of hours there of your podcast. So check that out. Videoeditors.online, also very useful if you are a YouTube creator, if you have any kind of video content, TikTok or Reels, short form YouTube shorts, they do it all. So go check out videoeditors.online if you're a video creator and you want to take advantage of that too. So same deal if you want to mention How Not to DM sent you, I'm sure they'll hook you up with some discounted hours to start. So yeah, check those both out if you are a podcast or video creator or both. All right, with all that out of the way, let's dive into this week's version of Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Caustic and Mudcat and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay. Which of you feels like you want to take on that DM role tonight? You can do it, Becca. 
Okay, I will DM it. Go ahead and roll it for me. So we'll start with your job then. Rowan, uh, 96. A nun, and I'll let you adjust that however you want, like an acolyte, a priest, a priestess, whatever you want to do. Someone fully committed to their religious endeavors. Got it. Next one is the personality trait. Five. Anxious, full of uneasiness or fear of danger or misfortune, worried, etc. Okay. Interesting. Last one. 69. Ah! Nice. <laughs> nice. A potion. You get to fill in the blanks. I'm going to be an elf ranger. I don't know if I've been a ranger yet. What do you want to be, Mudcat? I'm going to be a Goliath druid. Why not? Two woodsy types. Why are we in town? Are we grabbing supplies, maybe? Because we probably don't spend that much time in town, right? Maybe we're just trying to grab a few things and then head back out. Maybe yeah, like rope, back. duct tape. Yeah, rope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd take way too long to grow the hemp and like make the rope ourselves, so it's easier just to go buy it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we totally would. We're here to buy hemp rope. Pulling your wagon from the long, hard day at the market, selling your wares, trading back and forth furs and herbs and flowers that you found out in the nearby woods outside of town with various other needs, you find yourself across cobblestones and a small little figure hooded with a medallion hanging heavy around her neck, short in stature, but the hood high up as a little kobold's tail sneaks out around the robes down below. Uh, Excuse me, travelers. Can you you help me, please? Her eyes still looking down at the ground, barely even seeing perhaps your feet. Uh, uh, Did you hear something? Uh, I, th- I think I did. Yeah, it came from from this little one right in front of us here. Ah, oh. I am Hello. not. No, oh. don't step on me, please. And she'll shuffle a little bit closer to where she almost <laughs> actually steps a little bit on each of your toes and dances around you. Oh, you're tall and strong. And you kind of feel tugging at your clothes as she whips in and out of your legs as both of you are much higher in height that she can't even see above perhaps your knees at this point. And she kind of wraps a little bit on your joints. Oh, strong knees that's good that's good oh please help me and she'll step back again and you'll see for a moment as she lifts her head up and these bright emerald eyes just catch the moonlight and you see a small tongue slither in and out in little moments that flick up at her nose cleaning Uh, it perhaps uh, 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 sorry I can't hear you from up here he's going to uh, stomp on the ground and mold earth underneath you as you shoot up (laughs) on this this block of earth kind of eye level with us or kind of more eye level. Now we can see you eye to eye, little lady. Uh, well, I I deserve a little bit of respect, please. And she'll kind of pat the ground a little, like a cat circling a space, making a nest up top as she forms it into a clear platform. Oh, fine. Uh, I, I, I beg of you, the two of you, are, are you brave or are you strong? Well, I don't know brag, but uh, yeah, I can lift some stuff. And, and I can face some stuff. Good, good. Uh, I have a favor to ask. The great behemoth, our worthiest of wings, flies high in the sky, but she does not see us this night for our home. And she points to the sewer in the ground that is decorated with beautiful cobblestones of different colors marked all around. Our beautiful home (laughs) is not yet made worthy yet. Oh, she will grace us soon, but we're not ready. I'm not ready. Please, I need your help. 
and she'll thrust in your hands, both of you, two vials of a yellow-like potion. You have to help me, please. I don't have any time and I'm too small to go out into the woods. I was supposed to do this before, but Sister Zanith was really angry at me because I forgot to do the dusting beforehand. So I had to do that. And she starts to go onto this long tirade and she shuffles around in a small circle on her mounded verth as she pats down into it, her little claws digging in and it starts to create a small stepway as she goes further and further down as her anxiousness spirals into a bit of a small tunnel now. (laughs) Oh. Oh, well, uh, I'm, I'm a little confused. Thank you for the, this potion, but what exactly do you want? Oh, she frantics for a moment so much that her hood flies back and you see a small little row of spikes down the back, also bejeweled with little tiny stones as well. I need you to do something with it. It's not a gift. She shrieks for a quick moment before hushing her voice again. I need you to take the potion out to the highest hill out there. You see that tall tree? She'll point over the one, just one tall tree that hides, just sweeps into the sky, almost touching the moon. You must go over to that tree. There's a mountain, a hill beyond it. And to her, mountains and hills are the same thing because she's so small. Both are extremely exhausting. And you must stand on it and hold the potion up to the moonlight so that way it may soak in the goodness and that way we may feed it to her later. Can you help us with that? Can you help us with that? She is impatient with your slow answers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. You're going to f- feed a moon potion to a, a, a winged lady. Got it. Not How much does it pay? Oh... With smiles, and she gives like a really creepy wide smile, like as if like a horse had lips that went all the way up the side. Her long snout also gives a very creepy smile with teeth that point all the way down, all top teeth, no bottom teeth for whatever reason. Uh, uh we're not really accustomed to, to doing jobs just just for smiles. But uh, you're perfect for it. You've got good knees, and she'll jump down again and start rapping on your knees. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of like start dancing and like moving away a little bit. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, got good knees. Yeah, yeah that's enough. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess we're going out that way anyway, right? Yes, wonderful. Yeah. If you go out that way, that'd be fantastic. But whatever you do, don't open the bottles. Oh, uh, what happens if we drink it? You're not going to like it. She'll kind of slink back for a hot second, hiding behind whatever's left of the mound at this point. Uh, I, I think I believe her. I probably would keep that cork uh, cork on there, pal. Uh, okay. Well, uh, we are headed that way. Uh, how soon do you need him back? On account of we, we usually do sleep outside the city walls. So is this kind of a bring it back in the morning deal? Or is this a as soon as possible deal? Well, as soon as possible, obviously. I have to go back in and dust. Didn't I tell you about Sister? She's really angry at me, but I forgot yeah, to do it. Yeah, Sister's saying it. She, yes. she, yeah, she likes the dusting. Yeah, got yeah. that. Got I that. forgot to do it, and if I don't do it, then I'll get in trouble, and I won't get to meet her, and I really wanted to meet her. <gasps> and she pulls okay. her hood up take, and tightens yeah, it really tight. Breath, deep breath in, out, in, out. There we go. And she's breathing very clearly through her sharp teeth. Uh, I, I I don't I don't really uh, know what to say here. You seem uh, just say yes. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> just All right. 
Bring it back within the hour, please. And remember, don't open the bottle. And you can't drop it. It has to just see the moonlight. Put it in there and hold it up for 15 seconds. Okay, okay. I was going to ask, is there a time limit? And also, is it going to change colors so we know it's done and, and dusted? Uh, sorry, I don't mean to say dust. I know that, that triggers you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she scampers again a little bit, pounding away at that dust, kicking up more dirt. And then she has to shake it all off her robes. Her medallion still, though, around her neck, which is an emblazoned eye with spikes all around and two wings floating out, which for some reason now looks like the Avenged Sevenfold logo in yeah. my head. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just realized I was describing something very familiar to me. Whatever. This is my nightmare. This is it. <laughs> the deity this, of retribution. This is the uh, yeah. uh, Kobold Sevenfold here. So <laughs> I love it. Avenged Seven Kobold. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're trying. We're trying here. <laughs> to be determined when you come back, you can learn more about them. By then I'll learn and write some of her story. So please, come back quickly. Yeah, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll just go and, and take care of this real fast. Yeah. yeah, I think we probably could have done it in the time this conversation took. <laughs> probably. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back shortly, ma'am. What, what can we call you? What can you call me? Me? Y- y- your name? Yeah. <gasps> no one's name, ever right? asked my name before. I've always just sister. She kind of freaks out for a little moment and you see her eyes tear up. So much so that she forgets to actually tell you her name. She just kind of starts acting really giddy for a moment and kind of looking back at her sewer door. Uh, green eyes it is. All right, we'll be back soon, green eyes. Thank you! She uh, she does know that the moon reaches this place too, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't going to have to go to the top uh, of the hill. But. I was also thinking that same thing. <laughs> Maybe we'll just go take care of this on some rooftop. Yeah, I mean, how's <laughs> she going to even you. know? Moonlight over there, away. same with moonlight here, right? Uh, that's what I figure. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could roll perception right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep mumbling to ourselves as we're walking away. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. You did a fantastic job. Thank Incredible. you. Incredible. Yes. Thank you. On a short notice, it takes mm-hmm. good DM skills. Small note, ocean. if you were to drink it, nothing would really happen as long as it's not after it's been touched by the moon. It's just cobalt urine. I had a suspicion that it was urine. <laughs> I had a just suspicion. Got in the court coffin, you could tell, but she told us not to do that. Yes. Too. <laughs> I was going to ask, but I thought, no, you know what? Better that I don't ask. They live in a sewer. These sort of things are considered sacred to them, okay? You can't just dump it on the floor. That which leaves the body is still precious, and it's a beautiful liquid gold. So it is held of high value. Did you just develop an entire belief system of a sewer people in like five minutes? Yes, of course yeah. I did. I'm a DM. That's fair. Good point. <laughs> and they have a one-eyed winged spiky god. <laughs> the thing I like about this most is it gives me ideas. I've always had people tweet at me later like, oh man, I'm totally going to use that in my game. So it serves two purposes. If anybody does, please tweet at me as well, and I would happily help you build out the entire religious text behind our Avenged Kobolds. (laughs) All the commandments. (laughs) How did you get started into the content creation world? You mentioned you've been streaming before you decided to get into TTRPGs. And then what are some of your favorite projects you've worked on so far? And they can be TTRPG related or not, whatever you can think of that you're really proud of. I started streaming on uh, Twitch 2012, 
we did Twitch for a long time, moved to Mixer when that was kind of just getting going, when it was Beam, Mixer, which is where we met our folks that we play D&D with initially and, and where uh, I played mostly Sea of Thieves at the time. I was a Sea of Thieves partner. One of the coolest things I've ever gotten as part of this was a uh, went to E3 and was in the first Battle for LA, which was their first PvP competition at E3. So that was one of my highlights of streaming. Very fun to do. We got second place. We did get note. second place. Ooh. Yeah, let that Humble be out break. there. Yeah. yeah. Later on, they started giving silver Xboxes for that, but I didn't get one. It's in the mail, I guess. <laughs> but still yeah. in the mail somewhere. Still in the mail years, years later. later. <laughs> yeah. Was it an Xbox? What would have been at that point? A one X, yeah, I was because yeah, they had a gold one, and then they started giving away silver ones for the tournaments. Yeah, so we were streaming, and and I was playing mostly Sea of Thieves. That was mostly it, and then we started playing D anD D, and was just a cast member for several years before we got into uh, doing our own stuff in 2021. And I still stream a bit. That's kind of taking a backseat in lieu of putting a lot of my effort into D20 Deathmatch because it's just kind of a time suck sometimes. So I had to prioritize there. But uh, I think D20 Deathmatch is probably one of the best, if not the best project that I've ever worked on. And in addition, I guess some of the sub things that I've done under our channel have been really fun. I just feel like I keep finding things I enjoy more and more and more. I'm always like, yeah, this is my favorite thing we've ever done. (laughs) You know, it just keeps happening. So Mm -hmm. long history. That's good. I mean, as long as that keeps happening, you know, you're on the right track. If it starts to get boring, that's a different story. I've always been a storyteller. I love telling stories. I love helping others to tell their stories. And Mudcat started into the streaming space. And I thought, this is really cool, this community that you're building. And I'll be honest, if it weren't for Mudcat, I probably wouldn't have done streaming. The internet is a scary place. (laughs) Yes, it is. It was very nice that I had Mudcat to guide me through it, help with the setup, but also help me navigate the space and knowing how to interact with people within the space, what to share, what not to share, how to interact with trolls or shut them down, because it's a very overwhelming place, especially at the time I joined in. Streaming was a lot bigger. It was a very difficult place to be found. It was difficult to really get started and to grow in that. And Mudcat helped out a lot in that to say, here's some really good steps to take. And I could learn from him and other content creators that I had met through Mudcat. So it gave me a really good idea of how I wanted to develop my stream around stories. So we focus a lot on RPGs, right? And I love to host on streams, like I'm on the Pink Pixels for the gamers, where we focus on bringing other women into the gaming space on our podcast and talk about their experiences, their stories, and how we as a community can understand, empathize, and support them more to help amplify those voices in these spaces. So I love how I can continue to kind of blossom in that, whether it's TTRPG, hosting, voice acting, or even training others now. At my university, I get the chance to help others in Twitch spaces or learning how to podcast their own ways. So it's very fulfilling for me. You talked a little bit about D20 Deathmatch already in the show. So I want to know where the idea came from, how you got it off the ground. And then also it uses a lot of cool graphics and you guys use a bunch of fun music and stuff like that. So is it just you two that put that together? Do you have other people you rely on to help you with stuff? This is run by the two of us. Yeah. Very exhausted. Mudcat in particular, you can see the bags under his eyes. I wasn't going to say anything, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a, that's okay. <laughs> but it actually started in our own little local tavern here in Orlando, the Cloak and Blaster. It's an adorable and fantastic nerd and TTRPG restaurant and bar that we love to frequent. And so we brought all of our dice, some pieces of paper, 
And it was inspired by some ideas that we had whenever we playtested our own characters. Before we enter any campaign, whether it was a one-shot or for a long-term campaign, we'd want to see, like, what's the playability of these characters? What's their personality? So we would sit down and we'd play them. Like, okay, what are they like at level three? What are they like at level 10? What are their spells? What are their actions? What do they yell when they are hurt or excited? So we got to flesh out all of these aspects of them when we realized in these little one-shot battles that we would do against each other, in which I mainly won as a small note. <laughs> Debatable. No one has proof, so whatever is said Editor, is now written in stone. She's lying. <laughs> <laughs> but we realized that even though this was just a battle, we got to learn so much about our characters, and we were going like extreme, big moments and ridiculous things. And Mudcat has a lot of inspiration from seeing like Celebrity Deathmatch, WWE, and it turns out I'm just really weird. So bringing all of that together, we wanted to create D20 Deathmatch. Mudcat was actually ready to do it on his own. And uh -huh. then he had a couple other projects. And then I said, I'm going to do this on my own. And he said, no, you're not. And so we started doing it together. And we decided to co-DM it in creating the rules, the structure. Mudcat has wholeheartedly led our production asset side of it about making sure our audio, our visuals look fantastic. We worked with Corey Thomas. Yeah, was high score tease at the time, but uh, yes. he, now he's on his own at this point. But yes. uh, yeah, he made our graphics initially and stuff because we were doing our merch through his company at He's the time. so talented. Yeah, but other than that, I run most of the production side here from two PCs while we're live and all the other assets that we create and stuff are created by one of the two of us. If you hate the chaotic events, you can thank me for those. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> Music is, right now it's all from Epidemic Sounds, you know, so it's all mm -hmm. licensed commercially through that and mm -hmm. need to start branching out and get some new sites, some new uh, providers. But uh, yeah, other than that, it's just the two of us for that and, um, and then the our show store. and our social medias and our, yeah, and our shirt store. Which is really fun. We just recently added a few other wonderful Christmas items. And if you like Destiny too, there's a lot of Destiny, D&D. &D. I love... Um, Pretty Deadly Barbarian, which is this adorably pink shirt. It's my favorite out there. But we did also add in some underwear with Dice Daddy written on them. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Those are available. For those who don't want to like wear nerdy shirts, but you want to still support, you can wear it underneath and no one will know. No one will know. <laughs> Except for the person who calls you Dice Daddy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> If you're watching our show or listening to it on a podcast platform or watching the clips on social media or interacting with us on a social platform, like that's just the two of us. We do everything. We're tired. I know how it is. You can see the bags under my eyes too, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Some more specific questions for just you, Mudcat. So you are the DM of Skypiercer and Into the Mirror, which are two more recent actual plays that are kind of branching off of the D20 Deathmatch world. Tell us a little bit about how those came to be and then what it was like to decide to stream a game that's maybe more story-driven and less the PvP style that D20 Deathmatch was. D20 Deathmatch was designed to be episodic in nature to where mm -hmm. you can just sit down and watch when you don't have to have any references, but it's much like uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 in that there is a kind of a loose narrative that connects it all in season two, I did a mini series called Fate of the Arbiter, which tied into our season two and it led up to our battle for the crown, which was like a battle between mine and Caustic's character in a three part tournament. So it was like this side series I did that led in. That was our first 
kind of Fourier, and I and I DM'd that one into like telling side stories. We didn't really necessarily plan on. We did plan eventually on doing other stuff, but none of the stories we've told since then have been planned because we don't have a narrative. We just kind of make it up episode to episode, and then when things sound cool, we're like, let's just do a side three shot about this character or this scenario or something, and then we'll tie it back into our season somewhere. So that's how Into the Fate of the Arbiter got started. And Into the Mirror is actually a continuation of that series. That was a three shot. And then those characters, this is kind of like after that battle for the crown. I won't spoil it for you because it just came out. But that party is continuing on in the universe, but in a different place. So not directly interacting with our setting, but in a different plane, in a different part of our universe. And so that's very cool. And then uh, Skypiercer was one we just finished. It was a three-part miniseries of just the background of the Grandmaster. We started doing it. We're like, hey, we should tell the origin story of how did she become the Grandmaster. Cossack and I sat down and she played in it, but she also helped write a good bit of the lore and the backstory for her character. You know, we tried to, I surprised her with a few things, but, you know, she had a huge hand in helping kind of set that up because it's obviously her character. I wasn't going to write her own backstory for her. It's like the rings of power. Like, you know what's going to happen and where we have to get there. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's some of that. <laughs> that was very fun for me. Both of those are very fun. Into the Mirror, I'm doing a different production style where we're taking the episodes and we're chunking them down into like between 10 and 25 minutes. And so it's not a four-hour one-shot. They're weekly 20-minute episodes. We're breaking it down that way. And Skypiercer was interesting because we started mid-combat with multiple perspectives jumping back and forth between our three players and also doing flashbacks of the Grandmaster's perspective from even prior to the events of this opening battle. They're really fun projects for me because I get to like push my production of not just like the actual physical production, but like the storytelling as well and, and tell stories in different ways. And again, it worked because you put on, and we made sure we had a very strong session zero where everyone met ahead of time. Yeah. We got to know each other's characters. We talked about our relationship of our characters beforehand to the inspiration behind them, stories and battles that we've done before. So it was very intensive to prepare for it with the players involved. Those were fun. It was cool to do different narratives, and we're going to continue to do more narrative and longer form things and limited series. I'm a huge fan of anthologies. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of anthology content that I'll be preparing. And I've played in a lot of long-term campaigns, but I like one-shots and limited series. I like to tell stories in a cinematic way. We're not going to be talking about our traveling in my games. It just doesn't happen. I will describe us riding in a battle, but we're not going to roll to see if goblins attack us while we're camping at a fire, unless it's integral to the story, unless it <laughs> pushes us forward. So for me, it's just about encounter, whether it's RP encounter or battle encounter. It's just the story needs to be pushing forward in some way. And that's kind of like I'm a huge movie buff. So for me, it's like writing a movie and then getting to tell the movie and all that. So uh, it's been very cool. And I have a darker tone and theme to my stuff. I, I really like to lean into the gore and the horror elements of things more than Caustic does in our main show, which we kind of both have equal hand in. So it kind of allows me to go over here and traumatize my players. And then I will come yeah. and save them. <laughs> I agree with you that um, one shots and shorter stories like that, like you said, you can be more cinematic. They're more narratively tight. You can do better narrative payoffs as well because mm -hmm. everything is so short and tied together. I think of like Critical Role. I listened to the whole first season. That's the only one I've completed. 
it just took so long for stuff to pay off. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, it's so-and-so again. And I'm like, I have no idea who that is. I got to Google, like, <laughs> I got to figure out what's going on, yeah. you know? There's definitely something to be said for like short, tight, compact. We're telling this story, especially for like listeners and watchers. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's easier to get people bought in because they know, okay, it's going to be 10 episodes or three episodes yeah. or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot easier to get people to stick around for that kind of stuff. That's the big difference, right? Between DMing and producing. If yeah. you're going to air it, you have to have both mindsets. Like, yeah, no one's going to want us to sit around and take five minutes to figure out what my character needs to do to make their attack, right? It needs to keep going beyond this. And so on the producing side, you're thinking, this game isn't just for my players. 50% of my efforts here need to be for my audience as well. And so you have to yeah. really dive into that and make sure your players know this is a show. This is different. So you have to accordingly adjust the pacing of your game and what events happen in those spaces. And that's why specifically with Into the Mirror and some future projects I'm working on, it's actually a lot easier if you want to talk production because I can record one four-hour session a month and I can break that into eight, ten episodes maybe depending on how it shakes out and they can be a little bit more well-produced. I can re-soundtrack them. So it's a little bit more epic. I can cut out any table talk that's a little too long or a little like annoying or whatever. I don't want to clip out everything. I still want it to be an actual play, but like I can get rid of some of that stuff. And then I've already had people messaging me and being like, hey, I love this new format because I can watch an episode on my break. Even if someone were to get eight weeks behind, they've only missed four hours of content. And then me as the storyteller, it's like running a limited series because I don't have to come up with weekly narratives that are impactful, which is almost impossible. I can come up with a monthly narrative that's actually impactful and actually interesting and just piece that out to people in a format that is easier to digest week to week. And if you get behind, it's not as, you know, if you get behind a critical role a few weeks, you just give up. Yeah, there's no way. You're just done. There's no way unless you're committed. committed. Yeah. Yeah. And let's also see this from the perspective of content creators, right? It's exhausting. And when you're pulling your players in to also be part of that content creation, they're going to get exhausted. And you will have to expect if you're doing a weekly thing that everyone comes to put on their best game every week or somebody has to carry. And that's a lot of weight versus Mm -hmm. if you time it out. Yeah. Okay. You can prepare for this. I just need you to bring your best one really awesome session a month. And that makes it a lot easier. Again, this is also different from show versus just playing with just your table. I think people forget they're very different things. Definitely. Caustic, you mentioned you are on the gamers spelled G-A-M-E-H-E-R-S for Mm -hmm. those who haven't seen this spelled out before. The podcast Pink Pixels, and you're an ambassador for them. I'd love to hear about how you got involved and what's been fun and rewarding about that. So I actually went to PAX South with Mudcat And I was a Mixer streamer at the time, not very big. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people weren't interested in talking to me. It was really disheartening. I was also short. And so a lot of people have a tendency just to look over me, (laughs) literally look over me. So I was taking a bit of a decompress walking around and I noticed there was this booth here called the Gamers and they had a couch and all the signs. And I was like, this seems really interesting. This seems fascinating. And they hadn't even launched yet. They were going to launch later on a couple months later. And I said, well, tell me all that you guys are doing. We're like, well, we're looking for streamers. We're looking to break into the space. We want to make sure that we're empowering women, give them opportunities to make sure that they can support one another, help working them into the industry and making connections and networking. And I said, I love it. 
anything you all need done, let me know. I think these values are great. I want to be involved. And so I was one of the first ambassadors that they picked up even before they really actually launched in it because I loved what their goal is. And no organization is perfect. So it's been a growing process as they've learned. And I appreciate how transparent the group has been in their leadership in that growth process and how they continue to invite more and more individuals to be a part of the stories, even in Pink Pixels, where we have it almost every Monday. I've had the opportunity to talk to some incredibly inspiring women in this space that do anything from creating the game music, the games we play, social media, community managers, TTRPG players, all sorts of individuals from these different roles to understand who they are, their unique challenges, and how we can continue to support one another. And I want to keep doing that. It's amazing. And we need to do it. Yeah, I love it. A couple of my past guests and friends are actually up for some of their awards. And that's always fun to see some of their tabletop awards too. So shout out to Scald and Cassie. The ceremony was technically while we're recording it right now. I know. I was going to say it just (laughs) happened. So I don't know if they won or not. I was just about to Google it. We'll know after the fact. But either way, both of them were finalists. So congrats to them. And I love it, right? Like you said, at the beginning, you were like, well, I felt like as a woman, if I didn't know my stuff, then I'd get jumped on or you probably did. Like people probably criticize you, et cetera. I had a lot of people very comfortable hopping into my DMs telling me how I should play or what my spells were actually meant or what would be (laughs) the best items for my character or how I should level up. It happens to all players, I imagine. Yes, yeah. But knowing how many Mudcat got versus how many I got, it was uncomfortable. Stark Stark difference. That's not fair because I give off an air of don't talk to me. I guess I'm very approachable as a human being. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not as approachable, I think. It's also part of it. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) But I'm glad that such an organization exists and is thriving because Mm -hmm. it is so needed your experiences highlight the exact reason why it exists, right? So that's awesome. And I'm glad you were able to get in so early and kind of help shape what it's about and what they're doing there. Mm -hmm. Any specific things you want to mention that are coming out soon? Season four of D20 Deathmatch. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. We'll take a little bit of a breather and probably just allow some more one shots and short term campaigns take a little toll. So that way we have time to do a full casting. We prefer to reach out to all of our participants before the season typically kicks off, or at least have a full list of who we're planning to ask and matchups for that. We'll probably put an application process out again, as we did last time for season three, refresh the visuals. Mudcat and I have been planning the story of how this continues probably about six seasons out, but We will polish up and prepare how we want to wrap up season three and getting into season four. So everyone should keep an eye out for some good storytelling and developments of all the characters involved. We got several things cooking. Into the Mirror was one that I just launched. and It had been kind of a project to get that going. We know with scheduling people and things like that. I have another one that I've talked about already before, so I'll share it. It's a Mork Org anthology with the folks from Perception Studio. So if you like doom metal, Swedish gore, TTRPG, but you want to watch puppets play it, then this is the one. <laughs> yes. So I'm excited. We still haven't gotten that quite started yet. There's been some scheduling issues and so I'm hoping very soon we can get our first session and I can start editing that and soundtracking it and we can get all that stuff out to people. But uh, beyond that, we've definitely, uh, you can probably always expect more limited series coming in our main universe in the lore. One of these days I'll kick off the one I'm supposed to be. I was supposed to DM one for season three. Yeah. It'll be pushed to season four. 
<laughs> so definitely a lot of one shots and anthologies coming through 2023 and then uh live shows as well we'll be back at gcx in orlando in uh, i believe it's august for gcx so yes. another live show and i promise you you may have seen DD panels at conventions and things but you've not seen anything like this it's an experience it's not an actual play it's a whole different thing and we have a second uh, live show that we haven't announced yet but it's uh, it'll be coming a little bit Maybe April, I believe. I'm so excited about our partner for this. It's going to be great. We can't announce it publicly, but to be shared soon in the upcoming months. That's exciting. I'm glad that you've got so many cool things to look forward to. I love it. The last question I'd love to ask before we kind of give out like social links and stuff is about any kind of parting words of wisdom both of you have. In terms of content creation in general, Right now, my philosophy is quality over quantity. Very much a less is more. Repurposing that content that you have in a better, more efficient way. Take advantage of social media and stuff like that to give you the most bang for your buck on the content you're making. I think the days of streaming 16 hours a day or being on all the time and just grinding, grinding, grinding are gone. So I would say work smarter and not harder, especially in the climate today. For D&D and in terms of like DMing and stuff, just forget the rules. Who cares? Someone made those rules up. You can unmake them at your table. As long as you're having fun and your players are having fun, it really doesn't matter how many Eldritch Blasts you can do in a row or whatever, what features you can use at a certain time. If you want to play that way, fantastic. If you have your fun, but uh, there are more ways to have fun than just adhering to the rules strictly all the time. You might like it. Love it. How about you, Caustic? For our content creators, don't forget to feed yourself. We give every piece of ourselves in so many different ways. Our time, our energy, our thoughts, our excitements that we don't often work on filling that back in. Whether it's spending our time on social media or streaming or prepping that next thing or learning a new tool or whatever it may be, it's good to take breaks to feed your creative soul, to reignite your inspiration because While you can run on burned out fuel, it hurts and your content will show that it will become just as dull as that soul that you've destroyed. So you need to make sure that you're feeding yourself. The second one for our DMs is that you really need to be thoughtful. The stories that you're telling at your table are just as real and just as important as any other life story or experience that your players will go through. The world that you make the experiences and trauma that you push them through, the NPCs that you make them encounter and how they choose to encounter them, that is them playing in that world, but that is them being in that world just as much. And so there is a lot to say, even when we're pretending to be other characters, that it's still teaching us about ourselves, about others, and what we care about as individuals. So be thoughtful about the NPCs you create, about the encounters, what you ask emotionally of your players to partake in. Don't just do it because it feels really cool. Amazing. Great advice from both of you. To wrap this up, where can people find each of you and your work and that kind of stuff? To make it easy, it's D20 Deathmatch on everything, but please follow us on YouTube. Please, 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 please. If we don't see our numbers up, I'm going to be so mad at every one of your listeners. (laughs) I will write them a very harsh letter once I find out everyone's address. When you do, please let me know, because I'd love to have those, too, (laughs) for other reasons. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Christmas presents. That's what it's for. Yes. Not angry (laughs) letters. 
Right. Okay, amazing. D20 Deathmatch everywhere. The links will be in the episode notes as always. I'll also link your Twitter accounts, your TikTok, etc. So people can check out that short form content you're talking about too. Thanks so much for joining me, both of you. I know it's a little bit late on the East Coast. I appreciate the time. I appreciate all of the effort that you've put into uh, the amazing work that you've created. It's been a ton of fun to watch it, to enjoy it myself, and to um, you know laugh at all the dumb jokes and watch puppets do really strange things. And it's been a blast. So I hope you both uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. We will. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Michael, DM of family-friendly actual play podcast Relic of the Past, and game designer behind the level one adventure in Wizards of the Coast's Candlekeep Mysteries. You know, one of the big pieces of advice that I give to people all the time is just go out and have experiences. Go out and do things. You know, go camping in the cold when your when your you know fingers are so cold they get numb. So you can describe that feeling to you know your players when that happens to their characters. You know, go out when it's too hot. Go out you know walking in the dark. You know, or when it's so bright you can't even see. Go to the big forest so you can actually describe what that looks like. You know, go out to the the ocean or to the lake or things like that. The more experiences you have, the more you can incorporate into your game. And also, you know, the more of these things you have, a lot of times you'll be sitting there and going, hey, you know, that cave over there, that would be perfect for the scene for the the next thing I'm doing. And it's amazing how those things can just uh, kick off the whole creative process. To hear more about Michael's advice on drawing from real world experience in your DMing, how he got into game design and more, tune in next week. Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and share it with friends and family who play TTRPGs too. New reviews will be read at the end of episodes as a thank you. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for the help editing and producing this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music that plays underneath while we're roleplaying is by my buddy Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And... As always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.